Hello and welcome to the latest in our recording of um, Leadership Matters. My name is Alan Parry and I'm joined by my business partner Alan Marks from Boyden. Hello Alan, how are you? I'm good Alan, I'm good. I can see you across the screen, you're looking very well. Ah, thank you and you likewise. And um, this is a, 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 a new uh, departure for us. It's our first COVID special podcast recorded not face-to-face, but instead with the aid of technology. And we're joined by our own colleague, Barry Block. Hello, Barry. Hi, Alan. Hi, Alan. Lovely Hi, to Barry. Welcome. Welcome. Nice to see you, Barry. Welcome, welcome. As many of you will know, over the last few weeks, Barry has produced a successful series of leadership reflections based on his own lived experiences and professional training. Barry is, of course, our resident industrial and organisational psychologist, who for the last 30 years has built a successful track record of partnering with and working in board and executive leadership teams around the globe to deliver strategic change. In addition to being an all-round Mr. Nice Guy, he is recognised as a trusted expert on people and cultural transformation. During a career, he has held client-facing roles in leading professional service firms, including McKinsey and Company and PwC. And in addition to being a partner with us here at Boyden, he is the head of organisational transformation at Monash Health, Victoria's largest public health service, facilitating strategic and change planning and organisational development across over 45 locations and to some 18,000 employees. How are you, Barry? And is the good state of Victoria going to beat this second wave of COVID pandemic? Alan, I'm very, very well, thank you. I think uh, unequivocally the good state of Victoria must beat the second wave. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm every day left in awe and overwhelmed by the extraordinary work of the healthcare service. Uh, I have the very deep privilege to play a very, very small role in what's an extraordinary effort. And I have to say that when you meet and work with the healthcare workers across the state, and I'm sure the same in every state, and with the leaders in the healthcare service, you're filled with an immense confidence we'll get through this. I think the biggest challenge for us, Alan, is to ask the whole of society to follow the directions and the guidelines of our medical leadership at the state and the federal level. They know what they're talking about, and it'll be good for us to do as we're told on this occasion. Barry, what was the inspiration for um, the leadership series you've crafted and created? Alan, I'm lucky enough in my various roles, obviously, uh, with Boyden to be advising and consulting a number of uh, large organisations, but also to do other uh, work with my my two company boards and my not for profit work as well as my executive role in uh, the health service, to be exposed day in and day out to multiple angles on what COVID is doing to our organisations, to our people, to our society and to our leaders. And it just struck me that it didn't matter what leadership role or uh, employment role each of us played, there needs to be ways for us to respond. COVID is unequivocally unprecedented, certainly not in a century have we seen anything like this in the healthcare world? And since the Second World War, we've not seen anything that has societally fractured the whole globe. Mm-hmm. And with that, it just triggered for me some, some real fundamental thinking around 
uh, how do we actually lead through this? Can we use skills and knowledge and experience from the past? But what new things do we need to do? How do we pivot as leaders and as employees and as members of society? Mm. That's a very powerful message, my mm. friend. Um, Barry, the, um, the first, um, first article of your series was a call to action to get boards of companies to serve. What did you actually mean by that? What was your, what was your concern? So, Alan, when I started to really think about how do we, how do we pivot as organizations, I felt it really fundamental we start from the top. Um, and while executives and managers and leaders and employees can all play their part, I wanted to signal that it needs to start with the board. And the role of the board has increasingly in recent history been, become one of uh, strong governance, strong risk management, strong compliance, and a, a, a predominant focus on the needs of the shareholder. Now, all of that is well and good, and all of that is a response to market forces, but the market forces have changed. So I now see the need for the board, in addition to that, to play five other quite fundamental roles. The first is to take on more of a stewardship of the corporation. We know with COVID that there were some leading experts and uh, leading economic experts as well as medical experts who anticipated this within the last five years. And yet very few organisations were stewarding the corporation to look at that risk at all. So very little in the risk world was about long-term sustainability at the socially fractured level. The second is that I think we have as organisations tended to explore the future only within some tight boundaries. We've not, we've not pushed ourselves to really be creative and to play strategically, not in any risk way, but in terms of the way we think. And I think the board needs to do a lot more. I've also seen an increasing delineation of boundaries between the board and the executive team, which in my, in my view, while is essential for governance purposes, is a terrible waste of the talent in the boardroom. And there has to be a way for the board to coach and mentor and guide its executive team. If directors are truly appointed for their own skills, experience and competencies, then it seems wasteful to me that they formally delineate themselves in a way that they can't transfer knowledge and experience to the exec and where the exec feel imposed upon by it. The fourth element is then the need to make sure that, that the board is not just protecting reputation, but actually working to validate reputation. And that the, you know, the board needs to be increasingly conscious that its behaviours, its decisions, are the first and foremost symbol and message to society about what their organisation stands for. And underneath all of this is the need, therefore, for every board member to truly exemplify the behaviours and the values that are espoused in the organisation. With me, that actually leads to the, the acronym um, SERVE, steward the corporation, explore the future, reinforce organisational leadership, validate reputation and exemplify behaviour. If each board member and if every board does that, then they'll not only serve the shareholder, they'll not only protect the, the compliance and governance of the organisation, but they will actually have a pivotal role in Barry, your second in the series uh, was entitled Seven Steps for Emotional Support for Leaders and Employees, um, which I imagine was inspired by what you were seeing on a day-to-day -day basis over the last few months. Absolutely, Alan, and, and I've been inspired on a day-to-day -day basis by every employee in the health service and every leader in the health service. They were quite 
incredible. And I've learned from them as well as them that drove me to look at the research on past pandemics, as well as what uh, worked emotionally during major wars, major conflicts, major economic okay. uh, depressions. Yeah. And, you know, went back to some of the really robust and rigorous data that World Health Organization, the Centers for Disease Control, the British Medical Association, and many others have produced, and reconciled that with what I was watching and what was working for the vast majority of people, both in the health service, but also in my other organizational contexts, whether it's in my advisory or my board capacities. And I found that there are these seven steps. And we've now um, used these seven steps in multiple very mm. large-scale workshops, all yeah. virtual. We're using the steps uh, to help individuals who are confronted by uh, day-to-day events that are deeply traumatic. Uh, we are seeing significant distress not only in the health service but in the whole of society. And these seven steps really have proven in the vast majority of cases to be practical, to be simple. They may appear quite superficial on paper, but if they're followed in a, in a structured, sensible order, and if we as individuals are comfortable to be vulnerable with them, we're actually finding the seven steps working really, really well each and every day for the vast majority of people. Well, I think it's a great practical bit of advice there, uh, Barry, and I think that could be applied to organizations, large or small. Um, and then finally, listening loudly, which is a great title, by the way, um, and takes a broader view on the fluid demands on leaders to engage with their teams. Um, uh, on reading that, it seems like you're advocating a new skill set. So, I mean, listening loudly, firstly, for me, I was struck by an organization I've been very lucky to have had work with and shared the life with, and that is the Active Foundation, which is an organization that serves the disability uh, population, and they do some very special work. One of their values is to listen loudly, Uh, and that really triggered a thought for me. What I was getting a lot of in my one-on-ones was that while while the person I was talking to, their leader, was actively listening, was using the skills of empathy, of questioning, of summarizing, and and so on, it was never proving enough. And the question that came to mind is, what is enough? What is the role? And is listening a lot more than active listening? And and and, uh, and forgive, there's no pun intended, but active foundation gave me permission to evolve their term of listen loudly into a a framework or a structure of listening loudly, which has got five disciplines. What I'm finding for any leader, and if we think of the three articles today, the first is top-down, it's uh, the second is bottom-up, it's emotional support, and in the middle is what do we do as leaders? And leaders really are the glue to hold organizations together. I'm finding five disciplines. The first is about presence, and I call it presence preoccupation. It's a deep fundamental preoccupation with being there in the moment with your people all the time. We seem to be busier. We seem to be more distracted. We seem to let other meetings or phone calls or technologies disturb us. And we need to actually go beyond just active listening to being present and give our fullest attention to the people we're with. The second then, I call pressing into orientation. What we need is give people a sense of the future. So that it's not only about the presence, it's actually about the presence. And we need an orientation where we're always looking forward. We're always looking to the future. People need hope. They need energy that that will give them 
resilience, and we're finding that that prescient orientation works well. The third is, is historically over the last uh, couple of decades, more and more leaders have expected their, their employees to come to them with the solution, not only the problem. You hear that statement a lot, my, my employee needs to bring me solutions, not just problems. Yeah. Well, while in a pre-COVID world that may be relevant and valid, in a COVID world with unprecedented scenarios, with the speed of our, and volatility of what's going on, we actually need to problem solve together. So problem solving cooperation. The leader needs to bring him yeah. or herself into the problem with the employee. And that leads to the fourth discipline, which is about being practical and simple. So I call that discipline pragmatic simplification. And it's about really finding the basic ways that move us forward. There are too many leaders who think that if they bring the prescience, they bring the vision, that's enough. There are leaders who, who therefore are not good at the conversion of the problem solution into problem action. So that's the fourth. And underneath that, and the one that I believe is most deeply in need from every leader, is about really being principled in my humanity. And I've called that principled humanization. The, the, the bottom line, Alan, is that too many leaders still get frustrated when they don't find that their employees uh, can think logically or behave logically. I have, a, I have a governing belief to everything I do, which is nothing in life is logical. Everything in life is psychological. Mm. And I, I think leaders set themselves up for disappointment. Leaders set themselves up for failure if they expect their staff to be logical anyone to be logical with psychological beings and as a leader we need to stop trying to be logical as a leader we now need to also be psychological ourselves so for me those five disciplines are the third article yeah and i think they really do challenge leadership to go another level in a COVID and post-covid world very mm. um, reflecting back over the last six months has anything prepared you to deal with what you actually witnessed. You know, Alan, one of the one of the, the key steps in the in the seven steps for emotional support is to recognize the skills you already have as an individual. And something I say to, to individuals every day is we all already have the skills. We all already have experiences. We've all confronted life challenges. We've all confronted quite distressing situations. The challenge is not whether we need new skills, it's whether we can actually industrialize or magnify those skills to the scale and the speed of COVID. Um, again, I want to emphasize that the, the thing that has struck me the most is the extraordinary learning I've had from working with healthcare workers. In a, but in addition to that, the most important thing is it's now time to use all those we have developed over our lives from all sorts of challenges and to use every single one of those. It's not about owning new skills, it's about owning your old skills. Yeah. What's, um, what's going to be next in the series, Barry? Is there another paper? There is, there is. And given this is such a, a serious conversation, it reflects one of my other observations is, to some degree we've forgotten whether to laugh and sometimes how to laugh. So my next one, so the, the whole theme of all of them is that COVID-19 fractured our society. The next title is, Are You Having a Laugh? And it's, it's really important that we find ways to have, bring fun and freedom back into our, our worlds. Now, that also has a, a health warning to it, 
So I'll be spending some time talking about how do we bring the fun back into the workplace? How do we engage people in a way that they can free up their creative side to have a humor that is really, really fun, but not at the expense of other people? It's quite interesting you say that when you look at some of the early comedians, American comedians, and I think of my name, Sigmund Rajamans, there was always a philosophy that you made fun of situations that you never attacked people. I think that's exactly right, and you know, we, it's funny. Uh, it's funny in a sad sort of way because, uh, as you know, I live in West Australia, uh, but I, I'm working in Victoria, and I get to straddle those two societies every day. Um, it's really striking how we started COVID with "We're all in this together," but now we're starting to see humour directed at Victorians. And just as a single example. I do know the distress that puts on healthcare workers. I know that the distress puts on people who are sadly COVID positive in Victoria. And I know that as a society, the very vast majority of society are trying their utmost and more to get through this surge. And the humour that targets, in this case, Victoria, is actually unhelpful psychologically and doesn't actually energise Victoria to the next stage. So, so humour is really fundamental. We need humour. And we need to find many, many ways to bring fun and laughter. I've been uh, blown away by a very senior uh, medical uh, doctor who has started to cartoon. And she has started to cartoon around COVID. And uh, she texts me her cartoons, and they are quite extraordinary. And pretty much every day I get a giggle about her, her COVID cartoons. And I've encouraged her to actually give those to our, uh, to, to our internal communications people, but it's really special humour. Not once is it targeted at an individual or a group, but it's always targeted about how do we get through this together. And when you've got people whose days and lives are about the medicine and they can bring that laughter, that's pretty special. Yeah. Very good to see you. Thank you, Barry. That's wonderful. I'll ask uh, the permission. We'll share them with you. Share them. <laughs> Thank you. Well, listen, thanks for, for joining us on a, on a Saturday afternoon. These are really interesting times and listeners you can all access Barry's papers through either www.boyden.com or following the Boyden Australia LinkedIn site and until next time Alan Barry thank you Barry thank you and I wish you all uh, a great day. <laughs>